Welcome to Above Avalon. This is episode 142, Rethinking the Smart Home. Hi, I'm Neil. In recent years, the topic of controlling or winning the home has been a popular talking point. Consensus has landed on the winner in the home being the company with the most capable voice assistant. And usually capability is measured by maybe the number of skills or features available to consumers. This dynamic explains why consensus in the press is that Apple is far behind Amazon and Google in the race to control the home. I'm not so sure about that, though. Instead, the entire smart home genre appears to be floundering. Last week, news broke that Apple had hired Sam Jadala to lead its various home initiatives. Jadala was a former Microsoft executive and most recently was founder and CEO of Altos. Some of you may be familiar with that company. They were the one with the $700 smart lock. They went under before getting to market with their product. The announcement raised a number of questions, including the most obvious. What is Apple's home strategy? In this episode... We're going to focus on what I think is wrong about the smart home and why Apple hiring Sam Jadala points to the company reassessing how to best get this idea of an intelligent home off the ground. Going back through the Above Avalon podcast archive, we really haven't spent too much time talking about the smart home. There was episode 113, It's a Smart Speaker Mirage, and that certainly covered some aspects of computing in the home. Yet we never really took a closer examination of the broader topic, and so I'm looking forward to today's episode. The best place to begin our discussion is to look at what is going on in the smart home space. And then what we'll do is take a closer look just at Apple's strategy. Starting a few years ago, the tech industry became desperate to position the smart home as the next big thing. There were a few reasons behind this, but I think much of the push was due to a strong desire to find growth after smartphones and tablets. You had other companies focused on moving past Apple's and Google's control over the smartphone and tablet paradigm. So in some ways, the smart home seemed like fresh territory. It was opportunity. With wearables, success has been contained to a select few companies. I think that's one of the most fascinating things going on with wearables right now is how few companies are actually doing well in the space. Meanwhile, when you look at the smart home umbrella, it covers multiple times the number of companies, and that includes a long list of hardware-focused startups. In one word, the smart home has been disappointing. The premise underpinning smart home adoption was that one smart device purchase would lead to another, and then another. It was never realistic to assume people would just go out and buy dozens of smart home devices all at once. So maybe someone buys a smart plug, and then that extends to a smart light bulb, and then maybe that extends to smart shades, something in the kitchen, and you could see this kind of goes on and on and on. 
In reality, that kind of behavior has not become the norm. There are plenty of products available, yet smart home adoption remains sporadic and disjointed. Now, we have seen a few product categories, like stationary speakers, gain traction in the home. However, in my view, those products end up being tangential to the idea of the smart home. Amazon is considered to be the leader in the home, at least when going by the media's perception. The company's acquisitions in the space certainly help push this narrative of Amazon being aggressive and forward-thinking. It's funny how M&A in general in the tech space is viewed in those terms. At first, it's always, wow, this company is really thinking outside the box. Good for them. We see a somewhat similar situation for Google, considered a distant second in the smart home race. Its Nest acquisition provided the company a decent amount of positive coverage when it came to its smart home ambitions. In addition, you have Alexa and Google Assistant. They have never been short of praise in the press. However, I do see signs, it's still early, but I see some signs of that positivity starting to break apart. We have Google, for example, disclosing that, oh yeah, one of its smart home devices happened to have a microphone in it. They forgot to disclose that small fact. That's a big deal. When we're moving into this era of people becoming concerned about large companies monitoring them, knowing details of their life. I think even the broader idea of just placing microphones throughout your house. People are starting to wonder, maybe that's not what we should be doing. When we go back to this idea of mediocre smart home adoption, a number of issues are at play here. I think the largest issue is that the vast majority of smart home devices lack an attractive value proposition. We'll go over three quick examples. You have smart doorbells with cameras. In my view, those items have become more about providing entertainment than anything else. They're serving as a way to see who stole packages off the front porch. Smart power plugs. They end up being nothing more than a way to avoid changing timers a few times during the year. Smart kitchen appliances, controlled by voice. I still think they make more sense in cartoons than real-world settings. While there are a handful of interesting product stories out there in the smart home realm, they are few and far between. Instead, the way smart home gadgets have embraced voice assistance has ended up being more of a distraction than anything else. In the rush to add microphones and speakers to anything and everything, the smart home's grand vision has been muddled. Amazon and Google have used voice to hijack the smart home in order to push alternative visions, one around e-commerce and the other around delivering information. Let's look at Amazon. You have a company focused on becoming the go-to place for buying stuff in the home. For Amazon, the home is an e-commerce hub. Every one of Amazon's actions within the home 
has been done in pursuit of that focus. Then there's Google. Here you have a company focused on positioning its services front and center in the home. For Google, the home is an information hub. Every one of Google's actions within the home has been done in pursuit of that focus. Now, sure, there are some value-add propositions found with improving at-home shopping and delivery and having easy access to information-rich services. However, both home strategies amount to collecting as much user data as possible. In addition, neither strategy takes full advantage of the most powerful and valuable screens in our lives to push the smart home forward. Amazon Echo and Google Home Marketing are notorious for never showing other computing gadgets being used in the home. There are zero smartphones, tablets, or wearables to be seen. It's as if people leave all of their devices at the door when entering the home, only to pick them up on their way out. Is that really realistic? I don't think so. It's clear why Amazon and Google do this. They both want people to think stationary smart speakers controlled by voice are adequate replacements for all of the various screens in your lives. The reality is that the best devices for consuming and transferring information and data in the home have screens. And they're either worn on us, such as wearables, or always near us, like smartphones. It is far more useful and practical to get the day's weather with a quick glance and a tap at the wrist than by asking a digital assistant contained in a stationary speaker. For example, I can certainly ask, well, what's the temperature today? And I'll get an answer. It's probably information that I don't necessarily need, like the day's high and low. That doesn't really help me. I need to know what is the temperature right now as I'm getting ready to leave in the morning. I would like to know what's the temperature during lunch hour. What's the temperature after work when the family is outside? When is it going to start raining? Now, sure, I can get all of that information one way or another through voice, but it just simply doesn't match the ease of just looking at my wrists. Tapping on Apple Watch, I have again the Siri Watch face, which is my favorite. The little temperature in the upper right corner, that's where I have it. And I have all that information right there. And I don't need to worry about where I am in the house to get that information. That same exercise can be extended for many other situations. This represents the core of my thesis as to why wearables are just so interesting when thinking about the smart home. Adding that screen into the mix changes everything. In addition, back in 2017, when we were in the smart speaker craze, I called it a mirage. My article ended up being pretty controversial at the time. My view was that people have to slow down. And looking at these devices as some next computing paradigm. Instead, think about wearables. Think about the existing devices in our life. I thought stationary smart speakers 
we're going to probably turn out to be something completely different. I think that's exactly what happened. Now, turning specifically to Apple's strategy for the home, Apple's approach is quite different than the approaches of Amazon and Google. Apple is a design company tasked with coming up with tools that enrich people's lives. The home is looked at as a place to use those valuable tools. When it comes to the smart home, Apple has been following a three-pronged strategy. One, rely on HomeKit and third-party hardware to establish an ecosystem of smart home devices. These devices can be controlled and configured using the most valuable tools in our lives. So we're talking iPhones, iPads, Apple Watches. Two, use select third-party hardware, such as stationary speakers, television sets, as Trojan horses for content distribution services. This is what we talked about in episode 140 back in January. Let's talk content. And three, Remain selective when deciding to ship first-party hardware solutions for the smart home. Apple TV and HomePod are the rare smart home exceptions for Apple. Both end up being accessories for Apple users looking for the best content consumption experiences in the home. Other Apple devices for the home, like the Bed at Sleep monitor, end up being tangential to this smart home idea. After a slow start, Apple has seen a pickup in home kit adoption among third-party smart home products. However, notice what's going on with expanded AirPlay 2 support. That has been generating greater buzz than all of this additional home kit adoption. I think that says something. With AirPlay 2, Apple is using third-party hardware as a way to spread its content distribution services. The fact that Apple doesn't sell its own television set implies that there are going to be many large non-Apple pieces of glass in the home being used to consume video content. That would explain Apple's decision to bring AirPlay 2 support to most of the premium television sets available in the market. The Apple TV box would then be an accessory solution for Apple users looking for the best experience. A similar story is found with cheap stationary speakers in the home. Apple knows people are tempted by $30 speakers in a can. As I mentioned in the other episode, you can basically decide, well, do you want to get a gourmet pizza or do you want to get a smart speaker? A significant portion of stationary smart speaker sales are attributed to two products mostly during the holidays, Echo Dot and Google Home Mini. The primary use case for such speakers is music consumption. Look at Echo Dot users. A lot of them are iPhone users. That explains Apple's decision to make Apple Music available on Echo devices. Apple is leveraging its existing user relationships to push Apple Music. And then you have HomePod as a device for the premium experience. So the segment of the Apple user base that wants that premium experience can go buy HomePod. Now, there are benefits and drawbacks to Apple's existing home strategy. 
One benefit is that the company remains focused on offering a few great experiences in the home. So when it comes to delivering sound in the home, HomePod offers intelligent sound at a fraction of the cost of a high-end speaker system. This is especially true when you have multiple HomePods paired together. This is one of the biggest challenges Apple has in selling HomePod. It is incredibly difficult to demo somewhere like an Apple retail store. And I would go so far as to say the experience that you get from having two or more HomePods paired together is completely different than just having one HomePod. If one of your competitors ends up being non-consumption, that is no high-end speaker system, well, how do you sell that value proposition to users? That's one of the challenges Apple faces with HomePod. Another experience in the home that Apple has been focused on is with Apple TV. And I consider that to be the best way for iOS users to consume various video bundles on a large piece of glass. Now, there are drawbacks to Apple's home strategy. Apple is ultimately dependent on others for its smart home vision. This reality may result in lackluster device support in addition to questionable experiences in the home. Apple has also been facing a growing amount of backlash for saying no to a lot of products in the home. Some people want Apple to provide everything from the internet wired into homes to Wi-Fi routers connecting our devices to the smart light bulbs controlled by digital voice assistants. This just isn't realistic given Apple's functional organizational structure and design-led culture. As mentioned at the beginning of the episode, Apple recently hired Sam Jadala, CEO and founder of Auto, a smart door lock company that went under before getting its $700 lock to market. According to CNBC, who broke the news, and it does seem to be confirmed by Jadala himself via Twitter, he will oversee Apple's various home initiatives. It would be a mistake to look at this hire as a sign that Apple will open the floodgates and develop a wide range of smart home devices. Apple simply isn't structured for such a scenario. Instead, Apple's culture positions the industrial design group as the ultimate gatekeeper of the experience found with using Apple devices. Instead, Jadala will likely focus on coordinating Apple's various home plays, and more importantly, revamping Apple's broader strategy for the home. I think one aspect of this is coming up with tangible ways for Apple teams to turn vision into reality. Now, based on his previous public comments, regarding smart home devices, and given Apple's product philosophy, we have some clues as to what such a vision may look like. In 2017, Jadala published an article titled The End of the Connected Home. I'll include a link to the post in the show notes. In this week's Above Avalon article, I picked out two paragraphs because I think they're very interesting. I will go over one paragraph in this episode. So again, this is Sam Jadala. Quote, Creating a product for the home is different than a wearable or device that is easily replaced. Connected home products 
are often installed. That installation dictates that they are reliable, durable, and follow many of the rules of the products they replace. In our case, that requires a digital lock to be durable and to have design and design options that support the diversity of homes. Homeowners, beyond the early adopters, aren't willing to sacrifice design, security, or performance. They demand it all. And Jadala then goes on to talk about these products as digital home products. And these are enhanced versus what he viewed as connected home products, which were basically just gadgets that had some sort of connectivity to them. In essence, Jadala's digital home concept describes a scenario in which design plays a much larger role in the home than what has traditionally been found in the space. It is this lack of design that has played a role in smart home products having questionable value propositions and resulting in mediocre smart home devices. Jadala's door lock company, which was reportedly staffed with many former Apple employees, was focused on developing a smart lock that would play in this digital home. In my view, his experience as an entrepreneur and product manager certainly fits with the idea that he will end up working closely with Apple designers on new experiences for the home. One takeaway from our discussion so far is I don't think too highly of the smart home. There are problems popping up everywhere. I think Apple has called timeout. Hold on. Let's rethink this because something is not connecting. The adoption is not there. The alternatives stink. We need to rethink this. Now, I think there are a number of ways Apple can revamp its home strategy. There are three items. The first, leverage existing tools in our lives to push the idea of a digital home forward. What are those existing tools? Smartphones, wearables. Should a smart home require us to use our most valuable devices less frequently? I think that question is going to gain importance when people begin wearing smart glasses in the home. We are going to literally be wearing the most valuable and powerful tools in our lives. Why not take advantage of those tools to improve the home experience? The second item, further incorporate design into the vision for the digital home. This step will involve addressing some obvious but incredibly important questions. How should humans interact with homes? How can digital home products improve our lives? You can see how we're asking a lot of questions here. That's the point. Voice can't be the only interface choice. 
simply being able to unlock the front door of our voice isn't enough. The third item, determine where the most important experiences are found in the home and come up with ways of interconnecting those experiences. This item is extremely intriguing. There are various genres at play within the home. We can look at entertainment, utility, health monitoring, security. How should health monitoring devices in the home communicate with devices tasked with keeping our home safe? As it stands today, there is little to no relationship or connection between experiences. Instead, everything is either funneled into a voice assistant or a framework like HomeKit. Apple is not opposed to the idea of moving into first-party solutions for smart home gadgets. We can look at Apple TV and HomePod as examples. Instead, Apple will continue to ask the following questions. Which smart home devices are capable of fostering experiences? Which devices have a long runway when it comes to adding features and capability over time? The answers to those questions will be the devices most likely to be tackled by Apple designers and engineers. At this point, I want to go over a few examples of what it means to rethink the smart home or revamp your home strategy. And one thing that you'll notice is that we're going to ask a lot of questions. That's the point. The first example relates to my comment about incorporating design into the vision for the digital home. And we can look at lighting. There's an item in our home that is incredibly useful. It's well-designed, and I think it's underestimated. The light switch. Not only does a light switch make it extremely easy to turn on and off a light as you enter and exit a room, but the thing about light switches is that they register intent. We can indicate very easily when we want the light to be turned on and off. Very often when people think about smart homes, they don't necessarily think about multiple people living in a home. And so you have these visions of people just walking through the house and the lights turning on and off as you walk from room to room. It's not practical. And I don't think people really want that. So how do you improve on the light switch? Is voice the answer? So as you're walking into a room, you say, hey, so-and-so, turn on these lights. Turn on the lights by the bed. Turn on the closet lights. I don't know about that. That doesn't seem efficient at all. Is there something to be found with dimming lights? Maybe depending on the time of day. For those of you who have dimmers, maybe some of those dimmers are little bit trickier to use. You have to kind of take your time to kind of see where you want the light for, say, a party. We have Apple's existing strategy about lighting really was all about automation. So if you turned your family room or living room 
into some kind of movie room. You can use a digital voice assistant to get the room ready to watch a movie. It demos really well. It's very impressive. Is it practical, though? I struggle coming up with different scenes that that kind of thing really makes sense. And so you can see how this discussion is bringing up questions. How should we interact with smart lighting? How do we best indicate intent with lighting? This is all about the experience. It's all about looking at how we can use a digital home product to improve our lives. Another example would be found with my comment about leverage existing tools in our lives. We are wearing smartwatches. I think if you have a vision about the smart home, well, it has to include where we're going with devices. We're going to be wearing smart glasses. One reason why smart glasses are so intriguing is that the use case is going to revolve around enhancing one's vision. And up to now, glasses and sunglasses, the primary way of enhancing vision was through clarity. So if you don't have 20-20 vision, well, you can wear prescription glasses to at least approach 20-20 vision. Sunglasses, well, it's to see better during the day. Again, it has to do with clarity. Well, there's another way of doing enhanced vision, and that is adding context. It's adding data to the world around us. Well, I can't imagine a better place for that than within the home. Does it make sense for a pair of Apple glasses, maybe in conjunction with an Apple Watch, to talk with other smart home devices? When you then take into account eye and head tracking, is it possible for there to be a way to register intent just by what we look at? That's intriguing. And the third example has to do with my comment about interconnecting experiences in the home. After I published this week's article, I received an email from an Above Avalon member who went into detail about one example, and it was fascinating. Is there some way of connecting, for example, health monitoring with security? And this would involve Apple Watch. And so if the Apple Watch detects that you fell, that something bad happened, should the security realm within your home then jump into action? And maybe doors unlock so that someone can come in and help you. The key point about that is that you're taking two different genres and combining them. Health monitoring with the Apple Watch and security with a smart door lock. You can see how this is much more than just, well, let's see who's stealing packages from the front steps with a camera. It's not that there's any easy solution or answer to any of these examples. Instead, I think the takeaway is that there's much more in the way of design needed when thinking about a digital home. More people need to think about the experience that's possible within the home. 
how to truly push certain devices, certain utilities, certain experiences in the home forward. I don't think this is going to be easy. In my view, the smart home path is going to be very bumpy going forward. We are trying to compensate for the lack of homes being built from the ground up with technology truly in mind. Having home builders simply add voice-activated gadgets in new homes falls short. That's not the answer. The only genuine answer is to have tech companies build homes themselves. However, that isn't on the horizon at this point. The home represents a crucial part of the new tech landscape. The home is a treasure trove of data, and companies are looking to grab as much of our data as possible. In my view, this explains why monitoring within the home has been all the rage. However, the home has not been the recipient of a great amount of design attention when it comes to intelligence and personalization. We have a whole lot of questionable voice-controlled devices and not much else. Hardware startups have been focused on adding voice control to smart home devices without a clear reason or purpose. Do consumers really want to talk to or control dozens of smart appliances installed throughout the home? I think it becomes tricky when you start naming rooms even. Are consumers going to be okay with installing microphones throughout the home? Based on the backlash to news of Google not telling customers about a microphone being included in Nest Guard, I think there is a good chance we are moving to a major backlash phase against the smart home. This brings us back to one of the very first things found in this episode, and that is the topic of controlling or winning the home. In 2017, a lot of people in the press declared Amazon the winner. So I don't even know why we're having this episode. Amazon already won the home back in 2017. It's clear that type of thinking is off the mark. Instead, the winner of the home is the company that ultimately is able to grab our time and attention. This is why I think Apple's vision of the home being a place where we use tools to improve our lives makes sense. I think the way of achieving that vision needs some changes. If someone is dedicating most of his or her time to an iPhone while in a room full of smart home devices, which company is actually winning in that room? If an Apple Watch is continuously worn and used in a home filled with smart devices, which company is actually winning in that home? The way we think about digital homes is in need of a major reset. That's going to do it for today's episode. If you enjoy the analysis and perspective found in this podcast episode and in the weekly articles over at AboveAvalon.com and you want more of it throughout the week, I do publish a daily email about Apple. Each daily update is about 2,000 words and typically covers three stories. 
We go over Apple business and strategy analysis, Apple earnings and financial estimates, my perspective and observations on current news, Apple competitors, and keynotes and events. If it is of interest to Apple, it is something I pay attention to. These daily updates represent the cornerstone of above Avalon membership. To receive the daily updates and to become a member, head on over to aboveavalon.com and then go to the membership page. There are two options. It's either $20 per month or $200 per year. Additional privileges and benefits found with membership include access to my exclusive reports about Apple's business strategy, access to my Apple earnings model, priority email access. There's a forum so you can chat with other Above Avalon members. And there is an archive so you can read daily updates previously sent to members. Above Avalon is fully sustained by memberships. So if you enjoy the weekly Above Avalon articles and podcast episodes, I think you will appreciate the value found in becoming a member. A big thank you goes out to those of you who are already Above Avalon members. And if you are thinking about becoming an Above Avalon member, thank you in advance. If you enjoy the Above Avalon podcast, if you can leave a rating or review for the podcast in Apple's podcast app, I would greatly appreciate it. Once you're in the app, just go to the Above Avalon page and scroll all the way down. That really does help get the word of mouth out there and introduce Above Avalon to new listeners and readers. With that, I will conclude today's episode. I will talk to you all later.